Welcome, everyone, to episode 22 of Blue Jays Happy Hour Live. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And Stoughton, after a one and nine stretch, the Toronto Blue Jays have won a baseball game uh, during a period of time when it felt like a lot of people were losing hope. And I don't think one game necessarily radically changes the trajectory or momentum and as much as you don't want to be a prisoner of the moment when things are going bad, when things suddenly go a little bit better, uh, you don't want to fall too far down that rabbit hole either. But what are your early impressions off this game? Uh, yeah, it's good that they won. It's good that we're talking about a win and not like uh, in the throes of despair, um, which has been you know happening a little too often lately. No, I, I mean... You say that uh, one one game may not mean anything, but uh, uh, to some of the there's no hope and this team's not going to be able to turn it around types, uh, object permanence is not uh, a strong suit, right? So so one game can change things quite wildly, it turns out. Uh, but no, it was nice. Uh, you know, Barrios pitched pretty well. The the runs, you know, it didn't feel like, uh, uh, you know, we struck out a bunch of guys, which was very nice. Uh, kind of a different version of Barrios, which we've seen a couple times this year. Not sure that that's uh, exactly where you want him to be. Uh, Vlad, you know, had a bit of a slump buster uh, single there, uh, seeing I single through the, the infield at the end of the game there after looking not great for a bit. Uh, all sorts of things you could kind of pick apart. Uh, there was that weird uh, challenge play, whatever. Uh, thankfully, we're not talking about all that. Or we can, obviously, but thankfully we're not, like, dwelling on that as like evidence that there's something horribly wrong here or the team is cursed or whatever else. Yeah. I mean, I think that you might be underselling that Barrios performance a little bit when you get 13 strikeouts against no walks, um, almost regardless of the context, you got to be pleased with that. And sort of, if you cut his season in half, even though he's had some ugly ones in this half, he he's getting a lot more swing and miss and he's throwing that breaking ball a little bit more. He, he's leaving the four seamer on the shelf, which is what he should uh, aim to do whenever humanly possible. I know he did get a couple of whiffs with it today, but it's just not a good pitch and he sort of survives with it a little bit, but you know, the sinker works better with his breaking ball. I thought he looked great today. And, you know, they were saying on the broadcast, like, if you have been watching the game, you're looking at a guy who's dominating. But when you look at the box score, it doesn't, you know, it looks like a more average outing because it's three earned runs in six innings and it's a home run. Uh, and I thought that was bang on because it that's how it felt when you're watching the game. You're like, wow, he's really cruising. And then, you know, someone who didn't see the game picks up the box score might say like, oh, wow, good strikeouts. But, you know, still the home runs, hard contact, whatever. I thought some of the hits he gave up were a little bit cheap, too. So, I don't know. I think uh, I think he's he's kind of the big star for me in this game. You know, I know Gurriel went four for four and had that big hit, um, and he's re- been really hot right now. But Barrios is the one who, if I have to pick one player from this game who I feel better about going forward, it would be him. It's always easy to say that about the starter because they you know pr- do the most from a quantity perspective. But I was really impressed with that. No, I, I think that's fair. I think it's fair to say that I was underselling him a bit. I, I just, I may be scarred because of you know what has happened ac- across the season. There was a thirteen strikeout game earlier where it, uh, it it also felt like, oh wow, this this is this is something new. Like because that's not really his game, right? I mean, he's not a he's not a strikeout per inning kind of guy. Uh, and to see him, you know, strike out this many guys, hell yeah, that's awesome. I would I would love to see more of it. I don't. Uh, it, it just it. 
I don't know if that's what you're going to get week in, week out, and if that's like the goal week in, week out, but I think you're right. Obviously, going away from the fastball, which is getting hit kind of hard, like not even just this year, I don't think. Uh, probably a good idea. Uh, it did feel like he was in much more control than, than uh, the scoreline indicates, but uh, it's still... As much as he is Jose Barrios, and there's, there, I've been adamant all year. There's, you know, he's going to figure it out. Uh, you know, I, I, I just, I can't not. And I don't think that you're saying that you're, you, you're no longer worried about him, obviously. But like, uh, yeah, no, it was a great start. It was a great start. It was a step in the right direction, and another one, and something to continue to build on, um, which is great because they're going to need that. And you know, if you get the real Barrios in the second half. Well, that's like a trade deadline acquisition right there, as we we joked about a bunch of times last week or last yeah, time. Yeah, I, I mean the bullpen too. Like Mesa was a bit weird, you know. The velocity was down. He's still basically just throwing the sinker. Being a one pitch pitcher is a little bit worrying because he, he's you know he can get the ground balls that way, but he can't get the strikeouts that way the same at the same rate as he did in previous years. Last year in particular, I think Garcia looked great. Romano looked great. Uh, they need Meza, you know, he's their left-handed guy. I think they bring Phelps in to be sort of the fireman with guys on base. I'd like them to see them do that more with Meza because of his ground ball ability, but you don't feel great about him doing that right now because the stuff, uh, it looks a little bit dicey. No, it's true. I think that if, that if, you know, other pieces of the bullpen would be, were going better, uh, they'd be able to shield him a bit, but they obviously don't have the horses right now to not just be like, well, we'll see what Mesa does. But he's been sort of, you know, more, uh, I mean, I'm saying this anecdotally because I don't have like all the, the charts and everything in front of me, but, uh, but yeah, like the, the one pitch pitcher thing is not great. And, and you know, the, the location hasn't been great. Like the slider hasn't been great uh, location wise. Like in the last one, I don't think he threw a ton tonight. And it's, uh, yeah, he just, he hasn't felt right. Uh, just you know, visually from watching him uh, lately, which is uh, which is yeah, it's a thing. And uh, you got T Sauce coming; uh, <laughs> he's on the sixty day. They got they got Sergio Romo uh, as like lefty options. Is Romo a lefty? I don't even know. I don't think he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but he's absolutely not. But uh, but yeah, no. They, 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 who's the other lefty? Who am I thinking of then? Who am I mistaking? Oh, Anthony Bond is the lefty. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, it, it doesn't feel great. I think that it would be nice to see Mesa pitch much better than he has right now, even though like the results are sort of coming. It does feel labored. And it does feel like it's uh, it's an issue that I think will eventually bite them, and they're kind of like hoping that they can get through to the deadline without you know it biting them too much. I don't know that you want to go into into August and September with Mesa being that prominent uh, uh, of a guy in your bullpen unless something changes performance-wise. It hasn't really felt great. Yeah, I mean, in theory, the 2021 version, you feel great about it, but what we're seeing right now, definitely not. Uh, we have Joe on the line, so let's get to that before we go a little bit bigger picture. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, I was just uh, asking this question after a win is kind of weird, but I was wondering with their recent struggles, do you think it's time to change up the lineup? Because... You know, a lot has been said about uh, Boba Shett struggling this year. Would you guys move him down in the lineup? I mean, Nick, you want to take that one? I mean, I I don't have a ton of thoughts. I guess I'm taking it right now. Then, um, uh, you know, I, we talked about this earlier in the year when he was struggling in April, and and they sort of stuck with him, and then it paid off immensely. Um, so, you know, that's not a reason to not do it, but I think that. 
uh, you know, it's just the one like lever that, 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 that is there to be pulled. And I think people get kind of too hung up on is like, Oh, you gotta, you know, so we switch up the lineup all the time. And I don't, I don't think that like, having set lineup positions really matters that much either. You know, the Rays will go through, you know, we'll have 130 different lineups over the course of a, a season or whatever it was the, a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't know if they're still quite doing that. Uh, you know, I, I, I think Bo's a fine guy to have hitting second. Maybe not ideally. I think that there's obviously maybe some politics and, uh, and we don't, we, you don't want to send the message that you're sending him down just yet. Um, in a vacuum, yeah, I don't know that he would be the ideal number two hitter right here, right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, over the course of the season, he's been approximately a league average hitter, um, and we're more than halfway through the year. I'm not saying that means that he won't be better than that from here on out. He probably will be, but he's more of sort of an 120 WRC plus guy than, you know, the true offensive star that Vladdy can be at his peak, Teoscar can be at his peak, uh, you know, Kirk can be somehow during the season. So I I think you do think about, especially because not only is the total production not quite there stylistically, it doesn't work ideally right. because yeah. he doesn't get on base enough in front of these guys. Like his on base has hovered around 300 all year. But I think Stoughton is absolutely right that there's a lot that goes into this from sort of a politics standpoint. And I think that most teams sort of net out at the idea that you know, lineup construction doesn't have that much of a difference on results. I'm not to say that it's useless or it's not, it's totally unimportant, but it's not the biggest deal. And so sometimes they're willing to go with something that's less than ideal because they feel like the soft factors around it um, make it just too much of a pain to make a huge difference. And I think that's probably where the Blue Jays are at with Bichette. But I don't know, you know, if we're coming through September and they desperately need to win a ball game, and Bichette is still hovering around 300 OBP, and some of these guys are doing significantly better. Yeah, it's something you got to think about. Like the Blue Jays didn't make the playoffs by a single game last year. That's been talked about constantly. But these tiny little factors that we kind of wave away and say, oh, it's not a big deal. Well, when the margins are that slight, sometimes that's something that comes back to bite you. So that is a, that is a good question. And I think it's something the Blue Jays need to give some serious thought to because you can only do so much of waving away of something when it does seem to be making a material impact. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. But also, who is there? Is there like a ready-made number two hitter there? Like there was a time in the season when like Espinal maybe would have sound, I mean, sounded like a good idea. If you want to, uh, you could. He doesn't Gurriel, seem to. Yeah, Gurriel he doesn't seem to want to do it. Sorry, go ahead. You could do Guriel for the heater. You could do Kirk and then bring Teoscar back into the clean. Like, I, th- I don't know. I think there are options there. I don't think that they're hurting for those options. I mean, I wouldn't even mind um, moving Springer down to that spot and playing around with that. But, you know, Springer is kind of locked in as the leadoff guy. I would I hit know. Springer in every spot of the lineup if I could. Yeah, I mean, especially if he, he could have a non-busted elbow slash general <laughs> body. Although, it you know, be better, yeah. To his credit, that was a hell of a catch tonight. Oh, and man. You know, yeah, I tweeted about it, but he he is fun to watch out there just because he's different. He's a you know he's a bigger guy. He's got you know probably you know he's less speed than some of these guys, and as a result, he ends up you know kind of having to lay out sometimes. And uh, he does a really good job of it. He just seems to have the ability to just you know dive enough, just get there. Like I don't know, make the catch by the skin of his teeth. I don't know how you want to phrase that. But it seems like when he gets there, they don't fall in. Like if he makes it, he he makes the play. And 
that's a lot more fun to watch than someone who's incredibly fast and just kind of seems to lope over there and have the ball fall in, which is, you know, equally productive and useful. And that's what most of the best center fielders are. Uh, but stylistically, I like what Springer brings to the table. I, I know what you mean. I, though I do find it terrifying every time he goes to the ground. Uh, <laughs> just because yeah. I'm afraid that what is going to be wrong when he gets, and I don't know that, that I'll ever get over that, uh, which is, uh, which is tough because, and I think that, that you know, and they, they don't, they don't exactly disabuse anybody of that notion by you know, having him rest as often as they do, which is just, you know, you know, we can all see the, the, like the baseball card stats show you the, the games played and it's, it's not always great for him. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're, I think you're right. I mean, Vernon Wells was always a great center fielder. Uh, I think some of the advanced metrics eventually kind of soured on him a bit, but like, he was the opposite guy. He was like the more the Devon White guy who was like, uh, it just made it look very, very easy, which which led to people thinking that he wasn't trying hard enough, which is weird. And, and then, you know, Kevin Pillar was obviously the opposite who would, you know, really go all out. And uh, <laughs> as great as he was defensively, maybe he didn't mind so much like if he was going to uh, tweak something on a dive and, and have to come out of the lineup. But yeah, Springer is kind of a... a uh, a throwback to that, but I think of, I don't. I was going to say like more in control. I don't know. Like I mean, Pilar's athletic dives and, uh, and, and some of the catches he could make were uh, were unbelievable. Um, yeah, Springer is a bigger guy, and being able to do what he can do is pretty amazing and, and, and very fun to watch, especially when he gets up and, and <laughs> looks fine. And then especially when I think, yeah, it'd be nice to see him in right field in a couple of years. So, Joe, I hope that uh, answer about George Springer's stylistic defense and center answered your question about uh, Bo Bichette and the lineup, but that is kind of the nature of this podcast. And, uh, yeah, you'd rather talk about Springer than Bichette at this point, probably. That's absolutely <laughs> no fair. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you, Joe, as always. Anybody else, feel free to jump in. Or, uh, um, that's what we're here for. We're here to review, but we'll gladly talk about whatever other – well, we, we like to, I don't know, lead. We like to lead with a game, but beyond that, we like to get to the transactions pretty quickly. And today we <laughs> had one, which was Gabriel Moreno going down, Danny Jansen coming back up. We talked about this before, and like when we first had Moreno come up, we thought, oh, maybe there's a way to shuffle these three catchers around, and you know his offense didn't really quite justify the type of role he'd have. There's more for him to learn at AAA. Um, Stone, yeah, what are you kind of hoping to see from him as he goes down, or what do you think might be different the next time we see him in the major leagues? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, because we did see the tools, right? We did see why everybody's so excited about it. We saw the arm. We saw the, the athleticism behind the plate. We saw the bat-to-ball stuff. Didn't see a lot of power. I don't know that that's something I'm going to expect, you know, when he comes, because he'll be up later in the season for sure. Uh, you know, that's not something that's necessarily going to come right away. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think, uh, I, I think it's, it's really, it's something that's going to reveal itself over a longer period of time. Uh, and just going down and getting reps is good for him and that he'll, you know, he'll be back and, and won't have like a 540 OPS or whatever. But it's just, it's absurd. I think at this point to start, you know, to judge him on that. But I, I think really what it comes down to is less like what he was you know, like, it would have been, he could have hit his way into a role here, but, uh, but I think the bar would have been pretty high because they really do like Danny Jansen. They they and they just don't have the reps for him with Kirk and Jansen being there. So uh, it makes sense for him to go and play every day. Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely right. 
like you said, the power is a thing that that bears watching just because that's sort of perhaps the most uncertain component of his profile, exactly where that's going to net out at the end of the day. He doesn't need it to be a good starter, to be an effective player. But if he's going to be that star, you know what I mean? If he's going to hit that ceiling of, oh, this guy was a top 10 prospect and he really panned out, then that power that we saw, you know, a little bit further down the minors and in fall league, we're going to need to see that over a longer period of time. So I'll be watching for that in AAA. And when he comes back, you know, also, do, you know, the approach of the plate, he, he, he didn't walk much. He swung the bat right. a ton. That was impressive in terms of how he's able to make contact at times. But at the end of the day, it's pretty hard to run that type of profile over a long period of time. We see with Bichette when his, you know, when his strikeouts creep up like they have this year, then it can really limit him because he's not walking. And it doesn't look like Moreno's going to do a ton of walking until his plate discipline changes a little bit. Like you said, he, he's young. He's got incredible potential. I don't want to use this time to bash him anyway. I was impressed with his defensive tools. Uh, you know, he's a young guy. I don't know. You'll, you'll never get an aging curve on catcher defense because catcher defense is so hard to quantify. But if I had to guess, I would guess it would be something in kind of the late twenties or something like that, because you still have the athleticism, but you've learned so much about the game. And so, you know, his, his future in terms of what he can do behind the plate, which ultimately is the biggest part of his job is so bright and we haven't seen nearly the peak of what that can be. So that's going to be exciting to watch over the long period of time, but I don't expect him to come up later in the year and me say, Oh wow, his defense is totally different. No, it's true. And then, and then this of course leads to, you know, the question for the winter, which is like, what do you do with the three guys, which is going to be uh, quite interesting. Uh, And I don't think that we should, anybody should change what they think about, you know, is uh, is Moreno the guy to maybe go? Do you change that after you've seen him, you know, in the big leagues for like a handful of games here? I don't think you do. I mean, maybe what Alejandro Kirk has done this year changes. What do you think about about that? And I think a lot of people have definitely reevaluated where they were when they were like, oh, make him the centerpiece of the, the Jose Ramirez package, uh, you know, in, in the in the winter. Um, but it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be a decision because I mean, it is it is one too many guys. Right, so it's going to be uh, yeah, you, uh, so that's something that we'll be following for a while, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was actually on the radio today, and I was asked exa- about that, and it was brought up to me the idea that Kirk is never going to have a higher value than he has right now. So maybe this is the time to trade Kirk. And I'm not sure I bought that argument. I feel like Jansen is tough because he's had so many injuries recently. We know the team likes him probably more than the league likes him, which is not to say the league doesn't like him and you couldn't get something useful for him or make him part of an interesting package that brings an upgrade. But I have a hard time imagining Jansen as the one you trade just because uh, I feel like he has his value is a bit warped right now because of all the injury issues. And I just think the organization likes him. So I kind of take him off the table uh, yeah. and it's Kirk and Moreno and Kirk's what he's shown right now over you know not an insignificant period of time is an offensive you know level production that you just don't see from catchers like it is truly rare and to have this player with many years of control and improving defense you know maybe not the ceiling of either the other two guys defensively but improving defense that is far from unplayable which was the worry at one point is that this guy would be kind of unplayable as a primary catcher and I know that 
he takes days off and DHs, and there are things that go into that with him. Uh, he's not catching at 140, but he's shown that he can be the yeah the guy who takes more of the playing time than anyone else. So if I had to do it right now, Moreno is probably the guy that I trade just because as good a prospect as he is, it's even rarer what you're getting from Kirk. Yeah, I, I think ceiling is the right word. Like I think that uh, <laughs> like has Bobchette shown the offensive ceiling that Kirk has in the first half here, like ever in his career. You know, which is not to knock Bone, I think is you know going to be a star and is a star, and you know despite being a league average hitter for a little bit here uh, and having some very like, some some holes in his game that are that are, are that lend themselves quite well, I think to uh, to making people frustrated, i.e. the the swing and miss, uh, the the hacking away, especially you know getting him in, himself into bad counts. We'll talk about that, but like I mean, this it, it, it it's been a sustained run of like. MVP caliber hitting for Kirk. I mean, it's maybe dipped a little bit in the last like, couple of weeks, but like, um, it's it's something that yeah, you don't like. You say you don't get out of catchers, and uh, you don't get out of a lot of guys. And I think that to, to, I think you're right that to be like, well, his value will never be higher. It's like yeah, his value is way higher than we ever would have expected, and I think you might want to see this through a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you could get something incredible for Alejandro Kirk at this point. You absolutely could. But Alejandro Kirk is something incredible, um, which, you know, coming into the year, you know, sometimes we talked about him and we're like, what is his long-term MLB future? He's got this weird thing where maybe he's more of a hitter than any position. You can't move him to first base. Is his defense ever going to be okay? And, you know, I, I realize he's played 77 games in this season and you have to be careful with something like that. But he has answered a lot of the questions you had coming into the season about him. And there's not a lot of good, you know, offensive catchers coming into league right now. You know, one of them uh, was stopped at the border <laughs> essentially uh, before this series, but there's not a lot of them out there. And when you have that position producing it, I don't know, like right now he's running a 148 WRC plus or 149 actually after today's game, you know, maybe he doesn't do that forever, but even if it's 120 or something like that, which I think is probably pretty conservative for a projection, that is incredibly valuable because your lineup just gets lengthened out. Even looking at the lineup tonight when both Jansen and Kirk are in it together, you're coming to the bottom of the lineup and you're not having that feeling in your gut where you think, oh, nothing's going to happen here. Or, you know, seven, eight, nine are coming up. Well, this inning's a write-off. Like, you just don't have that when you have a guy like Kirk in the lineup. And, I, yeah, I, don't, I just don't see the value in parting with him right now. Like, you, you do want to see how far this can go. And maybe it'll, you know, some his body type is unusual and maybe it'll lead to injuries and it'll all go awry. And you'll say, wow, I could have had something amazing for Kirk in the middle of 2022 or in the off season between 2022 and 2023. And instead, I've got this absolute wreck. But I just don't think the evidence points to that outcome right now. No, I think you're right. and I mean, it's just... It, it's so risky on either side of it. And I, don't, and I think that other teams will see the risk and will be less likely to... You know, you you will you would get something very good for him, obviously, but also that risk has to be built into whatever somebody's going to offer you. So it's not going to be, you know, it's hard to find an equivalent of of a guy where it's like there's so many questions he has, and, and and he's so young and, and like there's and the body type and the track record, but also the underlying stuff that has looked so good. And, 
yeah, I think you, I, I think you, you go with it, and you don't feel bad if, uh, if naturally, obviously, this doesn't quite, you know, this peak doesn't persist. But I think that, that, like you say, like even if it's a little bit less than this, uh, that's still real, real good, and, and I think worth, uh, worth pursuing, especially like you say, because of the defense too, which has been uh, a pleasant surprise. The, the body type and the like the breaking down thing is going to be a long-term consideration, but we're way, way away from having to worry about that. And everything you say about Kirk and the way other teams may view him with caution, the opposite could be said about Moreno. Like Moreno has that sort of blue chip prospect through and through industry consensus that he's a future starter at the very least. Like no one has a bad word to say about him. He's one of the most athletic catchers to come up through the minor leagues in a long time. Like he has the opposite of Kirk's body type concerns. He's someone who basically any team on the planet is projecting out to be a really good player. And they're confident about that. I'm not trying to line them up one-to-one in terms of what their trade value is, but you can trade Moreno to a pretty high percentage of teams and feel confident that they're high on him. Uh, And with Kirk, like you said, there's just a few of those hangups. Yeah, and, and though, I mean, you say all that, and then it's just like, well, <laughs> well, maybe we should bet on the horse that the industry's betting on. Uh, <laughs> you know, but he's just so damn lovable, and, and, and it's just, it's just, it's so, it's been so great, and, uh, you know, I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. Um, because maybe a dispassionate person would have, uh, uh, more of an inclination to be like, no, uh, let's sell Kirk High, uh, and sell High on Kirk. Like, uh, I can see it. I, I mean, I think it's certainly an argument that deserves to be aired. I mean, I, I would hope that the front office would, would 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 have to at least listen to that argument and listen to you know uh, to to why it makes sense. I, I I don't know if I'm buying it. I think I would like to see them, as we've said, see it through. But yeah, uh, there's a reason Moreno is held in the esteem that he's held in and uh and has been for a very long time for the blue jays like going back to the alt site and stuff you know our, like you you would hear rumblings about him from people who talk to people within the blue jays well before he got noticed by you know the the scouting community at large and like the 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 prospect gurus and the websites and stuff like he's a guy that they you know they saw the metrics on how hard he hits the ball and they saw all of it uh and how it could come together and it really you know, it's not until it shows up in, uh, you know, in performance on the field, and, and that season he had a double A, a couple, of, you know, last year or whatever, uh, and I think even whatever wherever he was the year before, uh, which I guess was the outside. I can't remember. It, it's been it's been March twenty twenty for the last like three years basically, but yeah, I, I think I mean obviously there's a reason that he's been so uh, held in such esteem. So I don't know. It is a, it's going to be a crazy question. I think I'm, also, I'm, I'm with you on Kirk, though, if that's where you're going. Well, I, I just wanted to say, too, that this discussion goes to, you know, the different roles of the people involved, right? Like for you and I, it's easier to say, hey, let's take the more perilous, risky path that's unprecedented because our jobs aren't on the line. You know, like if we're totally wrong about Kirk, we're like, well, we thought it was fun and cool and it's a good idea. And maybe someone in the audience is like, hey, remember when those guys were all in on Kirk and now two years later his body's totally broken and they're idiots. Well, they probably had like 20, I don't know. I don't know why I was going to give a specific number. Like we've already had 28 takes since then. I don't know. I, I doubt anyone's counting at home, 
but we will have said other things. We will have moved on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're an executive and you say, you know what, I want to take that riskier path that, you know, there's just not a lot of precedent for, and I, I believe in the player and the person, um, and it goes horribly wrong. You know, I'm not saying that the Blue Jays front office has their jobs in jeopardy or anything, but it is a different mindset when you're in that job. Like it is much more difficult to say, <laughs> let's do the thing that hasn't been done before. Let's go for it. And it's a lot easier to say, everyone seems to agree that this is a thing that's good. Let's do this thing. And even if it doesn't work out, we'll have good logic to point to. Yeah. And we're, you know, it's harder to get rid of us. You know, once once Truly the axe falls, cockroaches. Up, <laughs> like I mean, the, the early years of drunk Jays fans, and we were like, I I don't know about this this fifty million dollars, this Jose Bautista character. Uh, that that was that was quite a season. I would sell high on that. Guy. We we banged that drum for quite a while, and uh, still here, still here, despite having one of the like wrongest Blue Jays takes of the last twenty years. Yeah, I, I just black them out, to be honest. Whenever I'm really wrong about something, I just 100% forget it. Like, I, I'm sure that I have something at least that bad as what you're saying. I can't remember. I can remember all the things I was right about, and I, I feel great about them. And in my head, those are the only things that have happened. And that's I mean, we're, ta- <laughs> we're talking about this, I feel like. I'm sure there are people on Twitter ready to send me all the things I've been wrong about, So, uh, and, and, which I'm sure have been uh, plenty. Hey, we're going for a more interactive format, people. So if you want to send us all the things we've been wrong about, we'll, we're absolutely receptive to that. I will absolutely block you if you do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This is an, a topic is a little bit sort of adjacent to the Moreno question. And we have to be cautious with things like this. But it is interesting to me that Fangraphs had their farm system rankings drop. And, you know, it's just one organization. So you always have to be careful of like, you know, here's a Baseball America list and you can overreact to that. And here's Baseball Prospectus and you want to get as many opinions as you can. But this one stood out to me because I, I felt like it was a bit of an outlier compared to the conversation surrounding the Blue Jays and sort of the Blue Jays farm system. So what Fangraphs does is they try and, you know, they give everyone sort of a future value rating and they try and put a dollar value on how much that's worth. And you can, you know, you can quibble at the science of all of that. It's really just trying to estimate the value of farm systems. I think it's a cool idea. Uh, it's obviously not going to be perfectly executed, but it, it, I think it's probably better than just a list one, two, three, four, five, six. Like it tells you a little bit more. And one thing I thought was interesting was, you know, the rest of the AL East was just way ahead of the Blue Jays by their estimation. They had the Tampa Bay Rays with the farm system worth $316 million, Baltimore $278 million, Boston $262 million, New York $244 million. All those teams are in the top 10. And then the Blue Jays at $137 million, which was 22nd. And a huge po- portion of that is really tied up in Moreno because it is a bit of a top-heavy system in terms of the next guy up just not being seen to be kind of nearly his caliber. Um, so and we were talking about this before, and you said that you feel like Fangrass has been low on the Blue Jays in a general sense. Uh, what does this information or projection make you feel? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, well, I agree with myself from earlier. I do think Fangrass has been low on the Jays, which is, you know, they're right to do, and that doesn't mean that they're wrong. And, uh, you know, Mark Shapiro very much validated anybody's opinion on these, especially like these kind of sites. When you know, years ago in the, you know, in the pivot area or era, when they when they were, you know, uh, bottoming out a bit, 
was tr- would hold up the objective uh, analysis that says that they're on the right track. So if this one says that they're not, uh, you know, I guess I guess he, you know, if he's going to have you know the same standards as he did years ago, would have to think, oh, well, now what's wrong? We've got the, objectively we're not uh, doing as well. Uh, but what I would I guess say is that uh, you know I'm, I'm racking my brain as I'm trying to spit these words out about who the the Rays and the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Orioles have traded in the last year. Uh, and I suspect that it's not on the level of, you know, Gunnar Hoagland, Austin Martin, Simeon Woods Richardson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, some of those guys maybe would, wouldn't be super, it would, wouldn't have bumped up the, uh, uh, the ranking all that much. Uh, you know, also I think Nate Pearson's graduated, even though he's still kind of a prospect, uh, we can put lipstick on this pig in uh, in several ways, um, but yeah, I mean it's fine. They, I, I, it, it's fair for them to to be low on these guys, and I I think that sometimes when you look at these lists or you listen to the people who make them and talk about you know the they, the emphasis is in different places, right? And I think the Blue Jays system is is low minors heavy right now. You know Moreno is there, but there is sort of a gap between. Uh, like Jordan Groshans is not has like a decent batting average and has like a three thirty slugging percentage, like which is uh, a concern, I would say, uh, especially for a guy who is like, you know, this is going to be a power hitting third baseman kind of type. Um, or Elvis Martinez has has not had like has not lit the world on fire this year, but also has had a really aggressive uh, assignment going to Double A as like a nineteen year old or wherever he is. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of nuance and, and stuff we could talk about there, but I, I mean, I think that there's there's some really exciting arms in the in the lower minors, uh, and arms that you know, I think Baseball America had Ricky Tiedemann all the way up at like 35 in the midseason top 100 that just came out. So like like often when you talk about prospects and stuff, it's like every organization has a guy like this or a guy. Every organization has a Spencer Horvitz or so everybody organization has you know. I don't know, Ravis Martinez, maybe, like, who, who, you know, I mean, his, well, his raw power, especially last year for a kid his age was, was, was unique, but, um, you know, there, like, like, there's, there's prospects of every shape all over the place, and to really, like, stand out, uh, I don't know, I think, I think of a guy like Tiedemann coming up, and, and, like, that's, that's where the Blue Jays are maybe starting to make their hay, where they, where it's like, okay, not a lot of organizations necessarily do have a guy, who is that exciting? Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I, I do not need smoke blown up my ass about how good the system is. I think that there's still guys that they can trade and that's probably the objective at this point in their win curve anyway. Um, but it doesn't bother me that the system is, is by some measures not, you know, elite. I mean, you just, you can't be all things at all times. Yeah. I think the thing that was interesting about this to me was that there's been a notion, I think sort of since the Vladdy bow times that there's such an emphasis on the farm system and it, it just, oh yeah, the assumption is just like, oh yeah, they've got a good farm system. They got lots of guys and you know, there's, there, you're always going to have lots of guys with potential and you bring up Tiedemann. He's kind of the exciting breakout star of this season. It's going to be great to see where he goes. Like his ceiling is really, really high, obviously. But finding the second behind Moreno, you know, Aurelvis Martinez has struggled this year. Like you said, it's an aggressive assignment. You know, he's still younger than the competition. Groshans hasn't really impressed. Guys like Leo Jimenez, you thought might be coming quickly, haven't done a ton. Otto Lopez, 
Like I can just go through some names, and this year there haven't been a lot of guys who've taken that exciting step forward. Like, there's a reason we, you know, I gave Yasver Zulet a little love, and you know, but there's a reason we haven't talked a lot about prospects on the podcast over the last little while. Yeah, I, another I should say that I didn't say is Alec Manoa, who in a lot of systems would still be in the minors. Yeah, you, you've got Manoa, you've got Kirk, you've got a lot of young players, and you know the Blue Jays' issue going forward might be more so like re-signing, extending, and retaining all these young players that they have, and how plausible that's going to be. Or plausible is probably the wrong word because it's always plausible with the amount of money they have, but whether they'll be willing to do that, those are kind of the bigger questions in their future, I think, than whether they have enough talent or not. I guess when it comes to the trade deadline, like you said, I think they have guys that will have value in the league that they can trade. Do Atkins and Shapiro look at this and say, I'm feeling a little bit uneasy at the state of system. I might be a little bit more gun shy about pulling the trigger on some deals, especially when a division crown probably is not in the works. I don't know. I think that they've crossed the threshold, right? I was skeptical just because of all their talk about future value and kind of winning forever and being consistently in the mix that they were going to do that. But once they did, like you said, the guys they traded, once they made those trades with Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson, and then later Gunnar Hoagland, they showed they were willing to do that. And at this point, it would be unfair to suddenly assume that they'll, you know, shrink back into their shell and be unwilling uh, to make some sacrifices. I think they will at this deadline, but I just think that a lot of Blue Jays fans would be kind of surprised to hear those rankings. And it's worth recognizing that being a top farm system, you know, at least by certain measures is just not something that is going to happen every year, year in, year out, just because they want to be and because they put a lot of pride and a lot of emphasis on it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, being 22nd or whatever it is, uh, when you're when you're win now and you have Vlad and Bo and Springer and, and Barrios and Gossman and like you have the roster that you have, it's completely. Different. I mean, if the, if this was 2019 and they had the 22nd ranked uh, prospect pool, which they fucking might have, uh, like it took a little while for that to start to grow. Uh, you know, top prospects Thomas Pannone did not did not really pan out, and uh, and and you know we could go down the list of names. I don't want to pick on him, but. Uh, but yeah, like I mean, to to have that ranking at this stage is not the same as to have that ranking at a different stage, or to not to have that ranking had you not traded all those guys and graduated all those guys. Like I don't, uh, and and I think that the, the and I think that like if you read like the methodology and like the the preamble to you know anything that Fangraphs writes about it, like of course they they acknowledge that, and it's like it's not. Uh, and I think you can even do that. You know, you can like I saw uh, O'Neill Cruz. Like, if he if he graduates, the pirate system drops to eleventh. Even though right now it's like I mean, seventh, third. It's well, it's higher than that. You know, like one 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 pro like one prospect uh, uh, can make a huge difference here. And that also speaks to you know how Fangraphs you know views quality versus quantity, which is something that is not identical. Through, you know, through the services and through the different gurus and, and websites and whatever. So I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I think people get too wrapped up in the ranking stuff and maybe they're encouraged by presidents of the club who, uh, who like, you know, print them out and bang them on the table to admonish Keith law. But like, uh, really more of the value of it is like seeing the actual, like nuts and bolts and the uh, granular things in the reports of what, what people think about 
where pitches are, what's you know what's going to develop, what the projection is, all that sort of stuff, and uh, and putting a nice little number on it is is one thing, but uh, but also these teams are paid to 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 exceed those projections and to exceed like and to develop these guys, and that is like exactly like the Ricky Tiedemann thing, which is you know drafted in the fourth round and is already the number thirty five prospect for uh, for Baseball America within like a year. Because the velocity came up, and the Jays identified a guy who they thought, presumably, who they thought they could work with to add velocity, and could, and, and you know that's sort of where, you know, that's where your gains are made, and you, and you can be ranked low and and make these, you know, make gains and and still do a great job if that's, you know, if you're getting wins on the pillar development front, which is what they're sort of geared to do, though it's <laughs> that's also what every other team is geared to do. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd rather be in the position that, you know, Tampa is in or, you know, New York is in where you're this good. And then you also feel like your farm system can stop, you know, Tampa has been so good of having guys kind of help them now. And the Blue Jays have had guys and had them, you know, they have graduated a lot of guys, a lot of blue chip players, but they've also, once they have those guys, instead of reinforcing the team, they've traded them. And that's a valid way to go about it as well. But like you said, I, you know, I think that you're paid to overperform things like this. I bet you if you ask the Blue Jays, they would say they feel very confident that they have the better than the 22nd farm system in the league. I don't know a single organization that would be like, oh, you know what? I think they're a little high on us, actually. Like, we've got a bunch <laughs> right. of scrubs over here. Um, so <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I, I just do think it is noteworthy that in this year, in 2022, the Blue Jays haven't had that many sort of breakout stories because, you know, when we were starting this podcast, we were talking about Manoa a lot. I feel like we were talking about Pearson. This, you know, Tiedemann is a ways away. And I'm not saying that he's not a good story. He's not going to be a great player, but it is interesting that some of the guys, you know, Arelvis Martinez caused so much of a stir prior to the season. And we were actually, you know, encouraging people to back off of that a little bit. And he may still be fantastic. But uh, it, it hasn't been that type of year for the Blue Jays on the farm where things have just been clicking on all cylinders. That's fine. Yeah. Um, Those extra of- picks for Ray and Simeon, right? I mean, they're, they're going to put that to good use. Let's start. Let, I saw this. I saw, saw Keith Law and people talking about it because there was a prospect. There was a draft pick trade, right? The Braves traded a draft pick or or got a draft pick. I don't remember which. Oh, I don't remember which end it of that deal with A-Rob. It's absurd that you can't trade draft picks. The Blue Jays would, would gladly do all of that, trade all of the picks uh, for Shohei Otani and uh, Rizal Iglesias. Uh, so let's, uh, let's let that happen. Let's let I the Blue Jays get a ton. to rewrite the CBA on the fly and make that trade. I'm sure <laughs> they would do it. Um, before we get out of here, I did want to touch on the JT Real Mudo thing. It's red meat. It's a bit silly. Um, but I thought it was just absurd. I'm just going to read the quote. We can unpack it a little bit. <laughs> sure. When it came time to decide whether I needed the vaccine or not, talking to doctors, I knew. I told them I saw and I decided I didn't think I needed it. Um, I wasn't going to take it just because I was told, basically, what's money? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let Canada tell me what to do and don't do with my body. That's not good grammar. Uh, for a little money, it's not worth it. So, I mean, you can go down the rabbit hole of the first part about talking to doctors and what's the right thing to do. And I don't really want to do that. I think that the consensus view of this podcast is get, getting vaccinated is a good idea. Um, 
I thought that right now in the middle of a first of all, he just mentioned money the whole time as opposed to like his team is an above average team <laughs> that's yeah. like trying to make the playoffs. Didn't mention the team once. The money is apparently around two hundred and sixty thousand dollars. He's saying this in an environment where there's a lot of uh, economic anxiety right now. You know, historic levels of inflation. Like I can't imagine a less likable statement than this. Doesn't mention the team <laughs> or wanting to help the team. Uh, specifically just kind of thumbs his nose at Canada for no particular reason. When when you travel to other countries, you observe the laws of the countries you travel to. Like That is sort of the social compact that goes along with traveling. You can't just go to another country and say, oh, well, like if you're in the U.S., you can't bring an AR-15 on a plane and go to the Netherlands and say, well, we have guns here, so this is what I'm about. Like that's the whole point of going anywhere is you respect the laws that are there. So I'm not going to let Canada tell me what to do is just insane to me. Uh, and then just keep emphasizing the money when, A, it is a lot of money to anyone who is a fan of him. Uh, and, yeah, it, he's an incredibly good player. Like He's one of the best catchers in the league. His team uh, needs these wins very badly. And I just thought it was the lack of self-awareness in the statement was pretty impressive. Oh, absolutely. And, and no, you're right. I mean, also, I mean, speaking of, speaking of, the, the, the Dutch can't take their, uh, take their hash to Japan either. Right. You know, it's like, uh, it's, uh, no, that, that obviously absurd. Uh, I tweeted about it with the, uh, just like screen grabbing a, a headline about Novak Djokovic not being able to go to the U S open because the U S has the same things, the same laws in place. Like he can't enter the United States cause he's not vaccinated. It's absurd that, that you know where that that it's a Canada thing in a lot of people's perception, uh, but I am very curious to see you know uh, to see how the teammate aspect of it and the team aspect of it plays out because uh, I seem to recall when Tanner Houck was uh, was not in the Red Sox bullpen and they blew a game in Toronto. Uh, people got real salty, and yeah, maybe that's Massachusetts. That's different than. Uh, well, I mean, Philadelphia is not exactly a, 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 a southern <laughs> in a southern state, but like, uh, but there, I mean, there's there's people who are anti-vax everywhere, and also, yeah, it, it, uh, there. I feel there has to be a breaking point there between like, <laughs> like, okay, yeah, I'm with you, bro. Yeah, don't don't let Canada tell me what to put in my body, but also you're fucking us, man. <laughs> like. And based on the week that I've had, you know, watching people and interacting with people on the internet, fandom really takes over a lot of uh, a lot of headspace for people. Uh, so good luck to Mr. Real Muto. Uh, you know, I, it won't, I guess it won't come up again so we can get away with it. The Red Sox one is going to be a little more interesting because, you know, uh, as much as everybody, uh, or a lot of people, a lot of the same people that I'm talking about, uh, don't feel that the Blue Jays are, uh, are need to bother playing out the rest of the season. They've already revealed themselves to be terrible. Um, the the playoffs could be very interesting uh, in the, in terms of this, and and I wonder how that dynamic is going to play out. How how uh, how when people you know people who are sympathetic to the oh I'm not I'm not telling what's put my body stuff. Uh, when push comes to shove and a good player can't play in a playoff series, um, that could get a little weird. It could be, and it could be, at least for me, and I assume Nick for you and for many of our listeners, extremely funny. I'm ready for it.
Well, I mean, I think he's on a good team if he wants to avoid peer pressure. <laughs> a huge chunk of this team uh, is willing to give up, you know, the competitive aspect to not do this. And it, yeah, it was. We Very would have been curious time. to see if uh, if Mr. Harper was uh, was healthy, what, whether he would have made the trip. He may have dodged a PR bullet. We have uh, a caller. Do you want to end on on Logan here? Sure. If Logan hasn't done this by mistake, let's see what Logan's got. Hey guys, can you hear me? Yeah, man. Thanks for calling in. Hey, uh, thanks for doing this. This is uh, really great. I've been listening for a long time. First time calling in. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I just was thinking the same thing about Romuto um, when Pat and Tabby were, or when Dan and Tabby were going on a broadcast about what a great leader Romuto is, and I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. I mean, he's a great player. I'll give, I'll give oh, him yeah. that. But for sure, it it's weird, and it's it's weird to me how that hasn't, you know, the how those guys' teammates haven't been like, like more adamant about like, like you fucking us, man. What are you doing? Like how that hasn't been a bigger thing. Even the money component, I know I'm fixating on a little bit because he said it multiple times, but like <laughs> many of his teammates are making the MLB minimum. So he's like, oh, like half your salary. That's nothing, bud. Like I'm tossing that away. Like I feel like even that, even for guys who are doing fine on the MLB minimum, like that's pretty annoying. Um, the, like 260 grand, that's like 10 minor league salaries for a year, yeah, which he- is a scandalous thing in its own right, but. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a whole other rabbit hole. But no, so sorry, Logan, we cut you off a little bit. You got any more for us? Uh, no, no. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it struck me as funny that that would be the uh, the take. And I know they got to, you know, be politically correct about it. You know, they can't just totally dump on the guy. But yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I I think a lot of that is outside of the context of the vax thing. But uh, we're a, we're we're a we're a broadcast friendly zone here. Those are good dudes. But uh, but, but yeah, that's a, that's a weird. Uh, you have to come I don't know. I think, yeah, if you want to hear people dumping on anti vaxxers you have to finish watching the game and then call in for this podcast. We that's all, right. Yeah, we'll do it every fucking time. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Logan, thank you so much, man. Hey, thanks, guys. All right, we'll end it there. Thanks, everyone, for listening in live, or you guys are going to listen afterwards, after the fact, wherever you're getting your podcast. We appreciate you listening, subscribing, liking, rating, sharing, all those buttons that people click, and we will be with you again on Friday. Indeed we will. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you Friday.